Good afternoon and welcome to our open air outreach. This week we're coming from Buchanan Street in the city centre of Glasgow. We're here from Partick Free Church of Scotland, continuing. We're a local congregation and as you might expect, we minister in the Partick area of Glasgow. But we seek to come out once a week if at all possible and we leave our church and pulpits behind and we seek to come out with the Christian gospel that we might draw your attention to what we find in God's Word. And there are others here and more are expected who will be handing out gospel tracts and we would be pleased if you would take a tract with you. It may well be that you're not able to read it at the moment but please put it in your pocket or in your bag and when you get some time over a cup of coffee then please feel free to read it because it does outline a gospel message and there are contact details on the tract also so that you might know that we are a, a genuine Christian congregation. We are a Scottish registered charity and we do minister in Glasgow. We're not in any sense fly-by-night cowboys. We're not here today and gone tomorrow. We have been around for a considerable time and we simply have one goal and aim in order that we might present the authentic claims of the Christian gospel to you. And we would argue, friends, that this is the most important message that you could possibly hear. And therefore, we urge you to give some of your time, even as you pass by, and if you can't stop, then please accept a, a gospel tract and read it at your convenience. Because the matter that we seek to draw to your attention affects every one of us. There are no exceptions. We're all human. We've all come from one set of parents. We've all come from Adam and Eve. We're all heading towards eternity. Whether you like it or not, that's a fact. Indeed, the, the things that I want to say to you this afternoon are not things that I've made up. There are things that you know yourself that are true. Like, for instance, we have been brought into this world and the day will come when we shall be taken out of this world. And a good question to ask ourselves is, where will we go? Indeed, that's the title of one of the, the gospel tracts that we're handing out. It is, where are you going? It's maybe something that you've not considered before. More than likely, it's something that you don't want to consider. But friends, we're dealing with truth here. We're dealing with reality, and the simple fact of the matter is 
that all of us are on a journey, the journey of life. And life as we know it here one day will end for each and every one of us. Solomon in the Old Testament, when he was the wisest man that ever lived upon the earth at that time, he says to us in his book, Proverbs, Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. We don't know one day from the next. We benefit from people who give forecasts. They might well be financial forecasts, or they might be weather forecasts. And we are amazed at how accurate they can be. But on many occasions, they get their forecasts wrong. And that can be exactly the same for ourselves. We can be here today and gone tomorrow. We can have a full diary, a number of events that we want to take part in and participate in. But we don't know one day from the next. We don't know whether we will be around tomorrow. And where will you go when you pass into eternity? Well, the Bible doesn't leave us in doubt over these matters. The Bible tells us. The Bible is God's Word, and it's God's revelation for mankind. And God, who is truth, can only reveal to us truth. And therefore, we are to take all our, our doctrine, our teaching, we are to take it from God's in holy and infallible Word. And God tells us clearly that after death there is a day of judgment. It is appointed unto man once to live, and after this the judgment. Now today what's happening in our society, what's happening in the local news, what's part of uh, the current affairs, do we not have in, in England and in Scotland, do we not have the, the COVID inquiry, and do we not have our politicians and others who were involved in the, the COVID pandemic and how they managed it, are they not giving account of their actions, and have we not been surprised by some of the things that have been revealed. And it would seem that some of the politicians have not behaved particularly that well. They have not spoken well of others. And it does seem that the COVID inquiries, both in England and in Scotland, are revealing things that we didn't know ourselves. As these politicians are grilled, and they give an account of their actions that they have performed during the time of the COVID pandemic. Well, friends, what does the Bible say? The Bible says to every one of us, it is appointed unto man once to die, 
and after this the judgment. And friends, what are we told about that judgment? Well, we are told that our very thoughts and deeds we will give account of these things. This is what the Bible teaches us. So then, every one of us shall give account of himself to God. We like to see when others are questioned and they have to give account for their actions. Well, it's the same for you and me. There are no exceptions. We are told again in Romans chapter 2, verse 16, and I would urge you, friends, to look up your own Bibles and see these things that I am bringing to your attention that you might know and realize that this is not make-believe. This indeed is the Word of God. And of that judgment day, Paul says in Romans chapter 2, verse 16, In the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ, according to my gospel. Is that not an awesome prospect then for every one of us? To realize that one day, the day that has been appointed, and indeed the judge has been appointed, now, who is the judge, you might well say? Well, the judge is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Paul, again, talking about the day of judgment to the so-called wise men of, of Athens in the book of Acts, he tells them about this day of judgment because he hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, in that he hath raised him from the dead. Now I ask you, as you pass by, and I know that you'll know some things about Christianity, ask yourself this question. Who has been raised from the dead? There's only one person that's been raised to the dead to new life, never to die again, and that person is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one who has been appointed. Amen. Thank you, brother. Hallelujah. He's the one who's been appointed, indeed, the Lord. to judge the world. But friends, we are delighted this day that we're here to tell you that Jesus Christ has not come to judge you today. What does the Bible say? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Yes, one day the Lord Jesus Christ will be our judge. But today, friends, he is the one that we proclaim as our Savior. And he's the one that you must know. He's the one that you must follow. 
He's the one that you must trust. He's the one alone who can save. He is the only one that can save us on that terrible day of judgment when all our thoughts, all our speeches, and all our actions shall be laid bare before Almighty God in and through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible tells us, friends, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Did you notice that verse? What we find in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10. Did you notice how it began? For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. You know, you might not want to appear before this judgment seat. It might not be convenient for you. You might not think it fit and proper that your very thoughts should be laid bare on that day. But there is a must be that we find here. For we must all appear. We will all receive that summons. Some people can be summoned to court to give an account of their actions and they try to avoid it. They might escape to another country or be under another jurisdiction and for a period and for a time they might escape appearing before court and indeed they might die before they are brought into this court. But as far as the court of Christ is concerned, we will all appear, everyone. The likelihood is, friends, that all that I'm speaking to today will pass into eternity before this great and awesome day of the Day of Judgment. Now, we don't know, of course, but the likelihood is that we will all pass into eternity and will all be in our graves or we shall be burnt to dust. But nevertheless, we will all come forth and we will all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And that's why we want to come out this afternoon and to leave the warmth and the security and the pleasure of our pulpits and our churches to bring this awesome message to your attention this afternoon. Friends, that you might have a Savior, that you might be reconciled to God before that awesome day, and that you might stand before God justified. Now, what does that mean? To be justified before God simply means that you stand before Him and you are not condemned. Every one of us by nature are sinners. What does the Bible say? Romans chapter 3, verse 23 tells us, we love to quote it when we come out here in the open air because it speaks to all of us. It says, For there is no difference, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. 
for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And because we've sinned, we're under God's wrath and curse, and we need a Savior. We cannot save ourselves. We cannot make atonement for our own sins. It's impossible, no matter what we might try to do. We cannot get ourselves right with God by our religious activities, by giving money to charity, by attending the places of worship, by going to confession or whatever, or following any kind of religion. We cannot be reconciled to God by our own works and by our own efforts. Instead, we must be reconciled to God through the way that He Himself has provided for us. Now, is that not remarkable? We are the ones who have offended God. We are the ones who have, who have broken His law. God has given us a law. He has given us the Ten Commandments and He would have us to live according to these commandments, which none of us do, and none of us can. And therefore we have offended Him by our behavior. But friends, here's the glory of the Christian gospel. What is it? It is that God Himself, who has been offended by our behavior, has provided a way whereby we can be reconciled to Him through the Gospel. Yes, sir. Yep, yep. It's a pleasure to be here this afternoon. We're here from Partick Free Church of Scotland, continuing a local congregation, and we're taking part in one of our weekly open-air outreaches. This time we're coming from Buchanan Street in Glasgow City Centre. And we're very glad that you're able to join with us this afternoon. And we were talking there before I handed out one or two Bibles. We were speaking there about that event that's going to happen. The Bible talks about it in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. What is that event that we were speaking about? This event will affect every single one of us. There will be no exceptions because we're told we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. There's a day of reckoning coming. God, who is our Creator, we don't believe in evolution, of course. Evolution is unscientific nonsense. It's a hoax. It's got no credibility. And indeed, to call it, to call it a hoax, uh, to call it, I should say, to call it a theory is to give it some credibility. It is a hoax. But basically, evolution tells us that we have come from nothing. Well, nothing can come from nothing, as you know, as indeed 
it is a scientific fact that nothing can come from nothing. But the Bible teaches us that God is the great creator. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And that same God is the one who today upholds this vast, glorious, and complex universe, which we have to say is not what it once was at the beginning. Because of man's behavior, this world as we know it is cursed. But there's a day coming when we shall have a new heaven and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. And as we were saying, God is the great creator. And the Bible would teach us that God created man, male and female, after his own image in knowledge, righteousness, and holiness with dominion over the creatures. And therefore, all of us here, all around here, walking about, all in shops and offices, all listening by other means, all of us, we've all been created by God. And therefore, we are accountable unto Him. And God, who is our Creator, has given us a law. And that's not surprising, is it not? If we buy a car, for instance, we get an instruction book. If you buy a piece of technology, like a camera or a computer, you get some kind of instructions to enable you to use what you've bought properly. Well, God, who has created mankind, He has given us a law, a law whereby we are to live by, and that law is codified for us. Uh, in the Bible, it's called the Ten Commandments, and He has given us this law. But our problem is we cannot keep this law. Why could we not keep it? Well, we cannot keep it because of sin. Adam and Eve, when they were created first, were able to keep that law. They were sinless. They were pure. They were holy. They were just, in many ways, just like their Creator. But as you know, Adam and Eve fell. They were given a very clear and simple commandment. They were allowed, as they were in the Garden of Eden, to eat from the fruit of every tree in the garden, apart from one. God was testing them, and they were not allowed to eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But the evil one came and tempted Eve, and she succumbed to temptation. And she took the fruit, and she gave some to her husband. As the Bible says, she was deceived, and Adam was disobedient. But from that point in the history of mankind, mankind fell. Sin entered into our experience. Our first parents became sinners, 
and they were changed. They had a sinful nature. And because we've all come from them, they are our first parents. We are born with a sinful nature. And because of this sinful nature, we sin. And that's why we cannot keep the commandments that God has given to us. Now, God has not relaxed or loosened His standards. God is absolutely perfect and pure. It is said of God, Thou art of purer eyes than to behold evil, and canst not look upon iniquity. That's the God of the Bible. That's our Creator God. That is the one with whom we have to do with. You cannot buy God's favor. You cannot cross His palms, the palms of His hands with money. He cannot be bought. He is absolutely holy and pure, and He demands perfect obedience from His creatures. Now, it's impossible for us. We cannot do this. We cannot render perfect obedience to the law of God. And therefore, we have a real problem, a problem that we cannot address and we cannot solve. We have to obey the law of God, but we cannot. We have a real immense problem. But blessed be God, He has dealt with it. He has provided a way whereby He can justify the ungodly. Is that not remarkable for us? That God, who is infinitely holy and pure, has devised a way whereby sinful mankind can be reconciled to Him. And this way is found in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. The eternally begotten Son of God became a man. And what did He do? He took upon Himself our form and our nature and became just like us. And He lived a perfect life. All the days of His life, He never sinned. He couldn't sin. It was impossible for Him to sin. And therefore, because He lived a perfect life, He was able to completely fulfill the law of God. He alone has done this. He never sinned in thought or word or in deed. He lived a perfect life. And then, at the end of that life, He was able to offer up a perfect sacrifice. Therefore, by His perfect life and by His perfect sacrifice, He has met the demands of God's holy law. He fulfilled it, and He fulfilled the law that was broken. For the punishment for breaking the law is death. And that's what Jesus undertook there when He paid the penalty for breaking God's law on behalf of others. 
And therefore, we're able this afternoon to come out and to tell sinners who have broken God's law and who have no hope in of themselves to be reconciled to God by their own efforts or actions that someone else has done it on our behalf. And God is prepared to accept a substitute. God is prepared to accept a substitute on your behalf. Someone who has completely fulfilled the law of God and someone who has paid the penalty for mankind breaking that law. Who is this person? This person is Jesus Christ the Lord, the only begotten Son of God, the one who has come down from heaven on a mercy mission. And we are delighted to say this afternoon that that mission was perfect, and that mission was successful. And that mission, friends, is the basis of the great hope that lies before all who will put their faith and hope and trust upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, we're here from Partick Free Church of Scotland continuing. We're going to take a short break in order to recharge our batteries, but we do pray that the Lord would be pleased to bless His Word to you this afternoon. Good afternoon again. We're here from Partick Free Church of Scotland, continuing with a local congregation. And as you might expect, we minister in the Partick area of Glasgow. We meet at 2 Thornwood Terrace, Upton Barton Road. And when you come to the police station, there's a hill opposite the police station. Go up that hill. It's steep, I know, but go up that hill and you'll come to Thornwood Primary School. And we're next door at 2 Thornwood Terrace at the crossroads. And we meet on the Lord's Day, that's Sunday, the first day of the week. We meet at 11 a.m. in the morning and in the early evening at 6 p.m. And we also have a, a midweek meeting on Wednesday evening at 7.30 and all of these meetings are open to the public to attend. And we would give you a warm welcome. And don't feel in any sense apprehensive. Don't feel that it would be difficult for you to come into a, a strange place. We would love to see you. And we would place no obligations upon you whatsoever. And this is quite normal for us. We come out on the street and we want to proclaim the good news of the Christian gospel because, friends, well, obviously, we have been commissioned by the Lord Jesus Christ to undertake this. He gave a commission to his early apostles and disciples to go into all the world, and as best as they could, they fulfilled that commission. But the world is a big place. And we are inclined to believe that that commission has now fallen upon other members of the Christian church. And we want to take up our part in this commission. And that's why we come out. We usually come out once a week. And we are not ashamed of the gospel. We believe that it is the power of God unto salvation. 
and we do believe that the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ addresses our greatest need. We have many needs in our society and in your own personal life. I'm sure you have many things, many needs, many issues. Well, there's one issue that's above every issue, and that's your relationship with God, your relationship with your Creator. Now, that relationship, because all of us are sinners, that relationship is not what it should be. But in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, that relationship can be restored. But it's only through what Jesus Christ has done. He is the God-appointed mediator. He himself did say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. We realize that today that verse in the Bible might be regarded as unpolitically correct in our multicultural society. But anyway, friends, we have it in the Word of God, and we're not going to be ashamed of the Word of God, because God's Word shall stand. His counsel shall stand, the Bible says. And Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. In other words, none of us will be in paradise, none of us will be in heaven, unless we have Jesus Christ the Lord as our Lord and Savior. Unless we are believing upon Him, receiving Him as He is freely offered to us in the gospel, we will never be in heaven. We will never be in that place called paradise. Instead, friends, we will be in that terrible place that's called hell. And that's why we come out. We want to tell you the good news of the gospel, that although all of us are under God's wrath and curse by nature, yet there is a way, a way whereby we can truly be reconciled to God through what Jesus has done on the cross. And friends, the Bible tells us, taste and see that the Lord is good. You'll find that in one of the Psalms. Taste and see that the Lord is good. And this is what has happened to multitudes of Christians. They have tasted that the Lord is good. They have tasted forgiveness of sins. They have tasted the love of God that passes all understanding. And they know this in their own personal experience. And friends, that's why we come out, that you too might have and know this experience, that you too can be right with God. Here we are, all of us, by nature, no exceptions, we're all sinners. What does the Bible say of us? What's the Bible's verdict? 
upon your life and upon my life, it tells us there is none righteous, no, not one. No one's righteous, no one's right in the sight of God. For there is no difference, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We've all missed the mark. We're all exactly the same as far as this is concerned. We may differ in our looks. We may differ in the color of our skin. We may differ in our social standing, in our education, in our financial resources or whatever, but there is one thing that unites us all, and that is we are sinners in the sight of God. And therefore, friends, I urge you to pay attention to what we find in God's Word. What does the Bible say to us? Look unto me, and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth. For I am God, and there is none else. This is what the prophet Isaiah wrote some 600 years before Christ came. And he was prophesying, he was predicting the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he is telling us today, here in Buchanan Street, on the 1st of February, 2024, he is telling us, Look unto the Lord Jesus Christ, and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is none else. You see, our Savior, yes, He became a man, but He is the God-man. He was always God. He is the second person in the Trinity. And when He came down to this world, He veiled His glory. But He remained God, and He became God in the flesh. And you are urged to put your faith and your hope and trust upon this one, upon the great God-man, who is the only mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. That's why Isaiah says, Look unto me, and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is none else. Now you may well be asking me here as you pass by, why do I need to be saved? I'm all right. You might say to me, you will probably admit that you're not perfect, but you will say, well, I'm not too bad, and surely God will have mercy upon me, because I'm not really that bad a person. I'm not really that bad an individual. Well, friends, I have news for you. God demands perfection, absolute perfection, because God is perfect. The Bible describes our God like this, Thou art of purer eyes than to behold evil, and canst not look upon iniquity. 
God is absolutely pure, and therefore he cannot and will not tolerate sin or sinners in his midst. Now, this is remarkable because he has done something in order that we might be reconciled to him. God has done something whereby to justify the ungodly, and we are all ungodly by nature. All of us sin, for there is no difference, the Bible says, for we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. Therefore, we've missed a mark. This is true of us. We have not reached the standard that God requires. Only one has. And who is that person? That person is Jesus Christ the Lord. He is the only one. And the good news of the gospel is that we are required to keep God's law, but we cannot. But God will accept someone who has done it for us in our room and in our place. Who is that person? That person is only Jesus Christ. He is the only one who has lived a perfect, flawless, sinless life. No other person has done this. No other person can. He was conceived by extraordinary generation. You and I came into this world the way that everyone else came into this world. We were conceived in the same manner but not so the Savior. His conception was miraculous. It was supernatural. He was conceived in the womb of the Virgin Mary by a special action of God the Holy Spirit. And this resulted in him not contracting or inheriting original sin because our sinful nature is transferred from parent to child. But Jesus broke that pattern. And he was conceived in the womb of the Virgin Mary by the Holy Spirit. And therefore, friends, he was and is completely sinless. And therefore, he was able to live a perfect life. And he was able then, having lived a perfect life, to offer up a perfect sacrifice, a sacrifice that would satisfy God's inflexible and holy law. Jesus Christ met all the demands of God's law. And that, friends, is what he has purchased for his people. For those who believe upon the Lord Jesus, they will have their sins forgiven they will be reconciled to God. They will be taken into the family of God. They shall be adopted into his family. And they shall know and experience all the blessings that belong to the family of God. And this is what's available in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ even today. Even today. This is why we come out. We not only tell you about the Lord Jesus Christ but we tell you to put your faith and your hope and your trust upon him, that you might call upon him, for today is the day of salvation. Today is the time to get right with God. Paul says in 
Second Corinthians. He says to the Corinthians in Greece there, he tells them, Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Today, today, friends, you're hearing something about Jesus. Today you have been confronted with your sin. Today you have, it has been revealed to you that you're a sinner in the sight of God. And today we have revealed the way of salvation whereby you might be reconciled to God. And that way is only found in the Bible. And that way is only through the Lord Jesus Christ. For salvation is found in none other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. There's no other way. There's no other gospel. There's no other Savior. There's no other message coming from God for us because this message is complete. This way is perfect. And this is the only way. And you must be found in Christ in order to be saved. So what must you do? Well, Jesus began His public ministry by saying, Repent! for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And friends, this is the message that the Christian church has proclaimed throughout the running centuries. It is to tell men and women and boys and girls to repent and to believe the gospel, to repent and to turn away from your sin. This is what's required of us. If we hear about the gospel and we want to receive Christ as Lord and Savior, then we must turn from our sin. What is sin, you might say to me, because we don't hear much about it. Uh, you might even go to church and you don't hear much about sin, but what is sin? Sin is any want of or conformity unto the law of God. Sin is breaking God's law, or sin is not keeping God's law. And God has given us a law whereby we are to live by. We could think, for instance, of our own country here. And we could think of the highway code. And we could think of the laws of how we are to drive. And what's required of us, what is legally required of us as we go about driving, whether it be a bus or a lorry or a car or whatever, we have to abide by laws. And if we don't abide by these laws, what happens? There's chaos. And if we break these laws, there are penalties. Well, life itself requires that we live lawfully. And God has given us His law in order that we might live our lives in a way that's pleasing to Him. And that's only right and fit and proper, is it not? After all, He is our Creator. Is it not right, therefore, that He should give us His law, that we would behave accordingly? But the problem is, friends, God has given us this law. He gave it to us in our hearts. It's written in our hearts by nature. And also because of sin, He has given us this law in His Word. But our problem is clear. We cannot obey this law. We cannot. Why not? 
because of sin. Because of the effect of sin. Oh dear, yes sir, it is a terrible thing. Because, friends, the reality is we love something that will ultimately bring about our eternal damnation. That's how bad it is. And to say, oh dear, is true. But there's a way of escape. There's a way, friends, that we can be right with God. And it's a way that's available to all of us. But it's only found in the Savior. And who is that Savior? That Savior is Jesus Christ the Lord. That's why the prophet says, Look unto me, that is, look unto the Lord Jesus Christ, and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth. For I am God, and there is none else. Look unto me. Here's the first thing we must do if we're ever going to be saved, is to take our eyes off ourselves. We cannot save ourselves. It's impossible. And indeed, this is something that marks out Christianity. This is a mark of true Christianity that separates us from every other religion. Christianity tells us what God has done in order to save mankind. All other religions tell us what we have to do in order to be saved. It's works religion they would teach and preach, while Christianity teaches that God has done something, and we are to simply believe upon what He has done and follow the Lord Jesus Christ. I hope you can recognize the distinction and the difference because it's a world of difference. Every other religion, it doesn't matter what name they call themselves, every other religion tells you to do this, do that, and then you'll be right with God, or maybe you'll be right with God. Every other religion tells you to work your way up to please God. Christianity tells us that God has done something wonderful and glorious in Jesus Christ. And we are to trust upon Him, and we are to receive Him as our Lord and as our Savior. Now, this is absolutely remarkable. This is astounding, because we are the ones who have offended God. We are made in His image. He has given us His law, and none of us obeys it. We live upon His earth, we breathe His air, we drink His water, we eat His food, yet we are not grateful and we're not thankful and we don't serve Him. We serve ourselves. Now, having realized these things, God has done something whereby we can be reconciled to him. God has taken the initiative. That's what that verse tells us in John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, 
but have everlasting life. Did you hear that? Did you hear what it says? For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten Son. There's God in action. There's God doing something for mankind. It's not mankind that's reaching out to God. It is God who is reaching down to mankind. And what did he give? He gave his only begotten Son. He gave the ultimate gift, the ultimate expression of his love towards sinful mankind. He didn't send an angel. He didn't send a legions of angels. He sent his only begotten Son. There was no one else who could do it. No one else who could undertake this tremendous task. And friends, that's why he came. And ultimately, he came and suffered and died. But it doesn't end there. Christianity does not end on the cross or in the tomb because he was put into a tomb on the Friday night and he remained there on the Saturday night but on the third day on the first day of the week early on the Lord's Day Sunday what happened? Oh, something wonderful happened that day what was it? Christ came out of the grave yes, he came out alive, alive forevermore. You know, his enemies thought that they got rid of the Son of God. They thought that they got rid of this radical rabbi who had upset the religious leaders of the day, but death could not hold our Savior. And at the appointed time, he came forth out of the grave and he now is alive forevermore. And that's the Savior that we proclaim to you this afternoon. He's not a dead Savior. He's alive. And what's more, he's building his church. Day after day, people are being added to his church. And one day, yes, friends, one day, the world thought they got rid of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. But one day, this same Jesus shall return in like manner. He was taken up into heaven, and a cloud came and covered him, and he was taken up into heaven. But one day, friends, he shall come back. Behold, the Bible says... Look it up in Revelation chapter seven, uh, chapter 1, verse 7. Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and every tongue shall see him. Everyone will all see him one day. You will see him. Every eye shall see him. And that will be the day of resurrection. And that will be the day of judgment. And that will be when eternity will begin. How will you fare on that day? How will you fare when you encounter the risen Lord Jesus Christ? 
How will you fare? On that day, friends, you'll need a Savior. Well, it'll be too late to call upon him then. That's why we come out this afternoon, because we are glad to make this clear to everyone. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of grace. Today is the day when God's favor is extended to mankind in the gospel. That's why we say, Look unto me, and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth. For I am God, and there is none else. And you're to look unto the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who alone can save. We're going to take a short break. We do pray that the Lord would bless his word to you this afternoon. We're glad you're able to join with us. We're from Partick Free Church of Scotland, continuing a local congregation, and we're out for our weekly open-air witness. And we're glad that you're able to join with us uh, this afternoon. We meet at Two Thornwood Terrace. That's just up the Barton Road. And when you come to the police station, if you go up the hill opposite the police station, you'll come to Thornwood Primary School and you'll meet us at the crossroads next door to the school. And we have services on the Lord's Day Sunday at 11 a.m. And another one in the early evening at 6 p.m. And we also have a midweek meeting on Wednesday at 7.30. Anyway, we're, we're from Partick, Free Church of Scotland continuing. We meet at Two Thornwood Terrace. We meet on the Lord's Day at 7, uh, 11 a.m. and the early evening at 6 p.m. And we also meet on Wednesday evening at 7.30 p.m. And we extend a warm and sincere welcome to you that you might come along or to any of these services. And please don't feel in any sense embarrassed. We would love to see you and we would make you most welcome. But friends, we come out because we live in a real world and we recognize that the vast majority of people will not be found in a Christian place of worship. Our churches are more than half empty, and indeed many of them are being closed down and being sold off. Therefore, it is incumbent upon us that those who believe the gospel, that we must go out and to the highways and the byways and to tell people about the glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, because this is the most important thing that we can ever hear. Our eternal destiny depends upon a reaction to the Lord Jesus Christ. And you'll never really call upon him or value him or follow him until you recognize 
your own condition and own plight, and furthermore, that you might truly see that he is God's provision for mankind, and he is exactly what you need. Now, what is our plight then? What is our condition? Why is it that we need Christ? Why is it that we need a Savior? Well, we need a Savior. We need a Savior because we are sinners. The law of the land may say nothing to us. It has no claims upon us because more than likely we are all law-abiding citizens. And we have no fear of the policeman coming to the door. And we have no fear about going to court because we haven't broken any laws of this land. But God has given us laws. In fact, he's given us one law. We find it in the Ten Commandments. And we have broken God's law. The first commandment, what is it? What is the first commandment? The first commandment is, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. God hates idolatry. God is the one true and the living God, and he will not tolerate when we worship other gods. Now, you may well say to me, well, I don't worship any idols or images, and therefore I'm not an idolater. Therefore, I have not broken that law. But what is a God? God is anything that takes place of the one true and the living God. Anything that takes the place of God is a God. Is it not true that we think more of ourselves than we do about God who made us and formed us? Let me just ask you as you pass by, you got up this morning, did you thank God for your rest? Did you thank God for your breakfast? Did you thank God for life? Did you thank God for the water you drink, the food that you eat, the clothes that you wear, the home that you have, the warmth that you enjoy? Do you thank God for these temporal blessings, the blessings that he has given to you? The likelihood is you haven't thanked God at all. You haven't even recognized him. You have probably been taken up with yourself and with your own activities, with your own plans and purposes. Your life is probably revolved around number one, yourself. Well, Jesus tells us we are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and with all our strength. And we are to love our neighbor as ourselves. That's how he described keeping the law that God has given to us. These two basic things sum up the Ten Commandments to love God and to love our neighbor as ourselves. I ask you honestly, 
Do you love God like that? Do you love your neighbor as you love yourself? If you're honest, you will say no. We have to say no. We have never loved God or our neighbor as we should. You might say, well, who is my neighbor? Your neighbor is anyone that you come in contact with. We have broken God's law. Let's look at it another way. What does the seventh commandment tell us? Thou shalt not commit adultery. That's a commandment that covers all sexual sins. And that commandment would tell us that all sexual activity is to be confined to marriage. And that's marriage that has been appointed by God. And that is between one man and one woman. And the commandment says, Thou shalt not commit adultery. Now you may well say to me, Well, I, I have been faithful to my spouse. I have never broken that commandment. Is that so? Jesus tells us in the Sermon on the Mount, if a man looks upon a woman to lust after her, he has committed adultery in his heart. And the same would apply for a woman. If a woman looks upon a man and lusts after him, she has committed adultery in her heart. You see, the law of God is not just concerned with how we behave with our hands and our feet, with our bodies. It is also concerned about how we speak and what we say and what we think. If you lust after someone in your heart, then you have committed heart adultery. You have broken God's law. And if you break one of God's laws, you've broken them all. We're guilty. God has found us out. There's another one. <coughs> what does the sixth commandment say? Thou shalt not kill. It's talking about murder. Now I'm sure all the people here on Buchanan Street on this Thursday afternoon have never committed murder and never will. But we can break that commandment also. If you hate someone in your heart without a cause, that is heart murder. If you speak to someone inappropriately, angrily, without a cause, that is murder by your words. This is what Jesus teaches us in the Sermon on the Mount as he begins to open up and explain and apply the Ten Commandments. It's clear then 
that in the sight of God we are guilty. He's guilty. Him there. Him there. Him there. Him there. Him there. We're all guilty. But friends, there's a way to be reconciled. There's a way whereby our sins can be forgiven. Oh yes, yours too, sir. All your sins can be forgiven. A very happy individual, I can see. A very happy individual. Well, he said a number of things there. I would love to be able to speak to him, but he's not in the mood for speaking. But he did talk about money. He did talk about churches after money. Well, friends, here we are in the street. I haven't asked for a penny from you. We're not after your money. Everyone else on this street virtually is after your money. Every shop wants your money. The soothsayers down there, as they sing, they're after your money. Every shop wants your money. I'm not interested in your money. I'm interested in your soul. Because your soul shall live forever and ever and ever. And your soul is priceless. And you can lose your soul. That's what we're here for. We're not here to raise money. We've never mentioned it. That guy did. We didn't. Because, friends, we, there's something far, far more important than money. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul. The Bible would teach us we're made in the image of God. We're made to live forever and forever, and we will live forever and forever. We'll either live in heaven or we'll live in hell, but we will live forever because we're made in the image of God and we have a soul, and your soul shall live forever. This life is temporary. We're here for what? 70 years, 80 years, 90 years. Then we go into eternity. Your soul lives on. It does not die. And that's why Jesus says, For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? You can lose your soul. And if you don't turn to the Lord Jesus Christ and have your sins forgiven, you will lose your soul. But if you turn to the Lord Jesus, He will save your soul. You cannot save it, but He will. And that's why we come out. Sir, you have a soul. It will live forever. Where will it live? Where will it live, sir? It will live forever, either in heaven or in hell. And we are here, friends, to tell you there's a way to escape, and that way is through the Lord Jesus Christ. We're not interested in your money. We want to tell you about the good news of the gospel. This is a faithful say and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the chief.
Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners. What a wonderful thing. The Son of God come down from heaven on a mission, on a mercy mission. And friends, he was successful. He went to the cross, suffered, died, taken down from the cross, dead, buried in a tomb, a tomb that didn't belong to him. Why? Because he wasn't going to stay there. He wasn't going to stay there. It was only temporary. And what happened? On the third day he arose. He arose victorious over the grave. And he came into this world to save sinners. And he had to suffer and die in order to do this. And friends, the very fact that he arose would tell us that his work was successful. And that's why we come out this afternoon to tell you about this person that you might put your faith and your hope and your trust upon him. For he alone can save. He did say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. There's no other way. No other person can save you. It doesn't matter how good you are. It doesn't matter how morally upright you may be. And it does not matter what religion you follow. If you're not believing upon Jesus, then there's no hope for you. But today is the day of grace. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Now's the time to seek the Savior. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way, the Bible says. Call upon him and he will receive us. We're here from Partick Free Church of Scotland continuing. We're going to draw our time to a close. It's been good to be with you. And we are grateful for this dry weather. We're going to leave you with a couple of verses. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Seek the Lord. Call upon him. He will always hear the penitent. He will never turn away the penitent. The gospel call goes out. Repent and believe the gospel. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return unto the Lord and he will have mercy upon him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. There's a promise. He will abundantly pardon. All our sins are forgiven, reconciled to God through what Jesus Christ has done. May God be pleased to bless his word to you this afternoon.